Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And let me just say, it is so good to see children and youth in the service. It is so good to see families sitting together. It's been a long time since we've been able to do this. And for those of you who are joining us online, I hope that you can join us in person soon. You know, it's really so important for us as a church family to regather in person because for those of you who are members, we have covenanted together to worship together and to do life together. Now, I know that staying at home is convenient, but being together is covenantal. So let's choose covenant over convenience. Amen? And may we do that as we come out of this pandemic. Now, this month's uh, prayer topic is for our denomination, which is the Presbyterian Church in America, or the PCA for short. Now, at the end of this month, as Elder Tom prayed, uh, we will have our annual denominational meeting, which is called the General Assembly, and it's going to be held in St. Louis. Now, this national meeting uh, that pastors and ruling elders from all PC churches across the country are invited to so that we can discuss and decide on very important matters together. Now, according to registration stats, this will be the largest General Assembly in the history of our denomination. Now, I think there is at least three reasons for that. First, last year's General Assembly was canceled because of COVID, so we now have two years' worth of work to do. Second, we're going to be discussing and deciding on some very important and significant matters together. And third, I think we simply miss being together. General Assembly is our annual opportunity as pastors to see our pastor's friends that we normally don't get to see because we're in different parts of the country and we get to see one another. So the days are long and exhausting because we have a lot of work to do, but the evenings are fun and relaxing as you get to hang out with and, and catch up with old friends and meet new friends. Now, the PCA is a great denomination, but it is by no means a perfect denomination, and we are struggling right now. And to be honest, we're struggling with some issues that threaten the unity and the peace of our denomination. What happens at General Assembly will have impact on us as a PCA church, either directly or indirectly. So I urge you, as members of a PCA church, to pray for General Assembly this month. That's going to happen at the end of the month. Pray for unity, wisdom, humility, and love that, um, that this would be a good meeting, just filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Also, just to let you know, this is the first year that all the pastors of our church will be going to General Assembly together. Uh, Pastor Bobby and I will actually uh, serve on two very important committee of commissioners. Now, I'm grateful that more and more minority leaders are being invited to help give leadership to our denomination. So would you pray for Pastor Bobby and for me that we would be wise and helpful commissioners on those committees? Our ministry theme for this past year has been following Jesus. By the enabling grace of God, we want to be a church that follows Jesus. A church that doesn't just love and trust Jesus, but a church that expresses our love and trust in Jesus by following him and obeying him. And to help us do that, we've been studying the gospel of Luke. We've been following Jesus through the book of Luke, and we've been paying attention to the things that he did and to the things that he said. And as we watched Jesus through the book of Luke, as we listened to Jesus through the book of Luke, I pray that we've become more and more convinced of who he is, that he really is the son of God and the promised Messiah and the Savior of the world. And the more that we're convinced of who he is and what he did for our salvation, may we follow him faithfully, fully, and joyfully. Amen.
That's really the goal of this entire series and for this year. Now, today we're going to conclude our year-long study of the Gospel of Luke. And the title of today's sermon is simply and fittingly, The Conclusion. The Conclusion. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Now, the climax of Luke's Gospel was the arrest, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, which were recorded in chapters 22, 23, and the first half of 24. Now, the last half of chapter 24, we come to the conclusion of this book. Now, at this point in the story, for those of you who recall, remember, Jesus has been resurrected. He appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then those two disciples went back to Jerusalem, and they gathered with all the other uh, disciples there. And they were talking excitedly that Jesus was really risen from the dead. That's the context. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today, reading from verse 36. As they were talking about these things, that Jesus was being raised from the dead, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him, they gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise. My, uh, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So here's the sermon outline for today. First, the surprise appearance. Second, the final words. And third, the heavenly ascension. First, the surprise appearance. As they were talking about how Jesus was, was raised from the dead, Jesus suddenly appeared in their presence and said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. In other words, they were freaked out and they thought they were seeing a ghost. Now, I think that their reaction was an honest and funny one. You know, sometimes you can get freaked out when you actually see what you say you believe in. You know, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is risen and alive. Amen? We believe that. But if Jesus were to somehow suddenly appear in our presence right now, if Jesus stood right here in our presence in his resurrected body, I think a lot of us would freak out as well. Even though we say that we believe that he's resurrected, but if we were to see it for, with our own eyes, I think we would be startled as well. 
And the first thing that Jesus said to them was, peace to you. Now the phrase peace to you was a common greeting at the time. But I see so much grace and mercy in the way he greeted his disciples. If you recall, it was just a few days earlier that these disciples had all abandoned Jesus. In cowardly fear, the disciples broke all of their promises to be with Jesus to the end. And you remember what Peter said? He even boasted, saying, even if everyone else leaves you, I will never leave you. Even to the death, I'll be with you. But sadly, Peter didn't just abandon Jesus. He even denied knowing Jesus three times. Jesus would have been justified to show up and to rebuke his disciples for their desertion. He could have said, oh, so here you are hiding out. Where were you when I needed you most? You all abandoned me in the Garden of Gethsemane. You ran away and left me alone. And then when I was dying on the cross, none of you were around. Where were you when I needed you the most? Jesus would have been justified to come to his disciples in disappointment and even in anger. But instead, what does Jesus do? He comes to them in peace. He didn't come to condemn them or to shame them. He came to give them peace. What grace, what mercy, what loving kindness Jesus had for his disciples, even though they had just failed him, even though they had just abandoned him. You know, I think it's such a wonderful and beautiful thing that Jesus came in peace to his disciples at the moment when they least deserved it. And friends, I have some good news for us. Because Jesus comes to us in the exact same way. He comes to us in peace when we least deserve it. You see, even after we have fallen away, even after we've broken all of our promises to him, even after we've gone back to those sins that we swore that we'd never go back to, Jesus comes to us and says, peace to you. Jesus doesn't wait until we've changed our ways. He doesn't wait until we crawl back to him in shame. Jesus is the one who comes to us. Even after we failed him, even after we've broken all of our promises to him, he comes to us. And he doesn't come in disappointment. He doesn't come to rebuke us. He comes in peace. He comes to give us peace when we least deserve it. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but I need to say this. No matter how much you think you have sinned or messed up, no matter how much you think you deserve to be yelled at in anger by Jesus, no matter how much of a failure and a disappointment you may feel like this morning, I want to tell you this. Jesus comes to you, and he's smiling, and he says, peace to you. You see, when Jesus comes near to you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to go run and hide. You don't have to hold your breath. Jesus never raises his hand to hit you or to push you away. Jesus stretches forth his hands to invite you to himself, to pull you close to him so that he can hold you. You see, that's the kind of Savior Jesus is. He's the Savior of sinners. He's the friend to sinners. He's the kind of Savior that all of us need when we least deserve him. 
So when Jesus suddenly appeared to his disciples, they couldn't believe their eyes. So Jesus said, look, it's really me. See my hands. See my feet. It's really me. It's really me, guys. Now, Jesus was raised with a new physical body. And this new physical body, this resurrected body that Jesus had, had some extraordinary abilities, right? It had the ability to suddenly appear, suddenly disappear. Apparently, it had the power to transport him from place to place. But what I think is the most extraordinary feature of Jesus' resurrected body is this. Not that it could appear and disappear at will but that it has scars. Jesus' resurrected hands and his resurrected feet still have scars, and they will forever have scars. And the scars of the resurrected Jesus will remind us for all eternity of the gospel, won't it? You see, the scars on his hands and scars on his feet bear witness to the cross where they were pierced through with nails for us. But yet these hands and these feet belong to a resurrected body that came out of a tomb. And so here are two truths of the gospel represented in his resurrected wounded body. The death of Jesus on the cross and also at the same time, the resurrection of Jesus at the same time. You know, um, I still can't get over it, you know. I still marvel that Jesus' glorified body has scars. Now, we normally think of scars as ugly, that they somehow disfigure and dis uh, diminish someone's beauty. When we think of the perfect face or the perfect body, we think of a face or a body without scars, don't we? Now, I remember when I was a teenager, my mom would tell me over and over again, don't pop your pimples on your face because it's going to leave scars, right? We typically think of scars as something unsightly, something that we want to cover or, or hide. But what if the scars are there because of love? What if a father ran into a burning house to save his little boy? And what if that father suffered severe burns and has scars all over his hands and arms because he got burned while trying to save his son? I would dare say that those scars are beautiful scars. Scars that would remind the son how much his father loved him and what his father did to save him. You see, to his son and probably to his wife, those would not be ugly scars, but beautiful scars. And in the same way, the scars on Jesus' hands and feet are not ugly scars, but beautiful scars. They will forever remind us of how much Jesus loves us and what he did to save us, even laying down his life on the cross for us. Friends, our God has wounds because he was wounded for us. And when you see that kind of love, when you see Jesus loving you like that, even to the point where he was willing to be wounded for us, when you see that kind of love, it just melts our hearts. And it makes us want to love Jesus in return with all of our hearts. Friends, we follow Jesus because we love him. But we love him because he first loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. We only follow what we love. and We follow Jesus because we love him. 
So we had the surprise appearance of Jesus. Next, let's look at the final words of Jesus. Now, the way Luke wrote the last chapter of his gospel, it gives the appearance, if, you, if you're not careful, that everything in chapter 24 happened on the same day, on the day that he was resurrected, that he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to them in that room, and then he also gave them the speech, and then he ascended into heaven. It gives the appearance that all of this happened on the exact same day, but that's not true. According to Bible scholars, there's a temporal gap between verse 43 and 44 meaning that what Jesus said in verses 44 to 49 was not on the same night when he ate that piece of fish with his disciples. In the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, by the way, Luke tells us that Jesus appeared to and taught his disciples for a period of 40 days until his ascension. So Bible scholars understand verses 44 to 49 to be Luke's summary of what Jesus taught during that 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension, okay? So what did Jesus say to his disciples over those 40 days? Now, according to Luke, Jesus emphasized three things to his disciples. First, everything that was written about the Christ in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. Second, they are given a mission. And third, they will be given a power for their mission, or they will receive power for their mission. Now, we need to pay careful attention to what Jesus said here because everyone's last words are usually their most important words, the words that they want their listeners and listeners to remember and to heed most. These are Jesus' last words before he left earth. Therefore, these are words that we need to hear and heed very carefully. So first... Everything that was written about the Christ in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. Now, according to Jesus in verses 44 to 46, the whole Old Testament, the law of Moses, the, uh, uh, the prophets, and the Psalms, they all point to Jesus. And Jesus said that he fulfilled the entire Old Testament when he suffered, died, and rose again. Now, I dealt with this very important topic uh, last Sunday, so if you want to learn more about this, I would refer you to that sermon. This topic is so important, I spent an entire sermon on this one topic, so I'm not going to deal with it now. If you missed last week's sermon, let me encourage you to go back and listen to it. You can find it on our website. Here's the second thing that Jesus emphasized. They are given a mission. Now, this is really cool. Watch this. Jesus says something interesting here that I think we can easily miss. Jesus said in verse 47 that the scriptures being fulfilled includes this. Not just that the Christ had to suffer and rise again, but it also includes this, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. What am I getting at? The Old Testament promised not only a Christ who would suffer, die, and rise again, but it also promised that repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name would be preached to all the nations. That's a promise. And it's being fulfilled. You see, as far as the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures was concerned, the missionary work of the church is just as necessary and just as important as the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So the Bible teaches Three great redemptive acts in history, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, 
and the proclamation of Christ. Without the proclamation of Christ, who is going to know that Christ died and rose again? All three are vitally important. The ancient Old Testament promises of salvation to all the nations, to the Gentiles, must be fulfilled. Charles Spurgeon, that famous Baptist preacher, said this. There was a divine necessity that Christ should die and an equally imperative must that he should rise again from the dead. But there is an equally absolute necessity that Jesus should be preached to every creature under the heaven. Therefore, in order to fulfill the Old Testament promise of salvation to the nations, what did Jesus do? Jesus gave his apostles a mission. And that mission was to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to the nations. He made them eyewitnesses of his resurrection, and he gave them this mission to preach the gospel. And that is exactly what they did. They preached Christ everywhere to the ends of the world. And that story for us is recounted in the book of Acts, Luke's sequel to his gospel. The fact that the church of Christ exists today the fact that the church of Christ is still preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus, that is proof that Scripture has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled to this very day. The fact that our church exists, the fact that Christ Central is now proclaiming the gospel in Nova, we are one of many living proofs that the Old Testament promise of salvation to the nations is being fulfilled. You know, as Christ's followers... We're called to be witnesses of Christ. Now, of course, we're not eyewitnesses like the apostles. We did not see the resurrected Jesus with our own eyes, but we are still called to be witnesses for Christ because we heard the gospel when someone shared the gospel to us. And then after hearing the gospel, we believed the gospel. We became believers in the gospel because the Holy Spirit opened our hearts to receive and to believe the gospel. And once you become a believer in the gospel, you also become a messenger of the gospel because Jesus now sends each and every one of us into the world to share the gospel with others. Bible scholar Paul Beasley Murray said this, the task of every disciple, not just of every preacher, but every disciple, is to interpret the significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for others, and in doing so, to spell out the gospel offer of forgiveness and the gospel demand for repentance. This is something that not just the pastors and the elders and the deacons and deaconesses are called to do. This is something that all disciples of Jesus are called to do. And also, when we think about the nations... We shouldn't think about people far away in distant countries like Cambodia or Spain. The nations includes all people who are outside the family of God, who do not yet believe that they can have their sins forgiven in the name of Jesus. In fact, some of the people who are the furthest away from God may be the closest to us. They may even live in the same house as us. So the places where you live, work, and play, those are the places where Jesus has sent you to be his witness, that you might share the gospel with people in those spaces, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 43, we're told that they're going to receive 
power for their mission. So they, they're given a mission, but they're also going to be receive power for their mission. And Jesus said that he would send the promise of the Father upon them and that they would be clothed with power from on high. Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit, that he was going to send the promised Holy Spirit to empower them for their mission to the world. Now, Luke wrote about this in his book of Acts, where he tells us about how Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on the church on the day of Pentecost. Now, the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital for the church to fulfill her mission to preach the gospel to the world because it is the Holy Spirit who opens the hearts of people to receive and to believe the gospel message. You see, friends, um, it doesn't matter how clearly or how eloquently or how powerfully you can share the gospel with someone. Our listeners will never be able to receive and believe the gospel unless the Holy Spirit opens their hearts and enables them to believe. You see, until the Holy Spirit opens our minds and opens our hearts to receive the gospel, the gospel will be foolishness to everyone who hears it even if it's preached to them by the best preacher in the world, even if it's preached by Dr. Tim Keller, unless the Holy Spirit opens their hearts, it's going to seem like foolishness to them. But when the Holy Spirit gives them faith, they will believe the gospel no matter who preaches the gospel to them, even if it's the simplest and the most basic presentation of the gospel from someone who isn't very good at speaking. When the Holy Spirit moves, people will believe. Friends, our hope of success and fruitfulness in our mission to advance the gospel is not in our giftedness, but in the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended, he sent us the Holy Spirit. And ever since then, the Holy Spirit has been regenerating hearts, making dead hearts alive, enabling people to believe the truths of the gospel. Friends, tricentral family, we are proof that the Holy Spirit is at work. He has regenerated us. He has made our dead hearts alive, and he has caused us to believe. Think about this. If you recall, for every single one of us, there was a time when the gospel was foolishness to us, when it seemed untrue or irrelevant or, or unimportant. Every single one of us remembers a time when the gospel seemed like foolishness to us. But now, the gospel is precious to us. Why? What happened? What was the difference? Did you get smarter? Is that why? No. The difference is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opened your mind and opened your heart to be able to receive and believe the gospel. And until the Holy Spirit does that, it will always remain foolishness to us. But when he regenerates us and gives us the gift of faith, we cannot help but believe. We just believe by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we consider the surprise appearance of Jesus and the final words of Jesus. Lastly, let's consider the heavenly ascension of Jesus. In verse 51, Luke tells us that when Jesus departed from his disciples, that he was carried up into heaven. Now, theologians call this the ascension. If the advent is the great coming of Christ then the ascension is the great going of Christ. And in the book of Luke, uh, Luke tell, uh, I'm sorry, in the book of Acts, Luke tells, us that Luke tells us that he was lifted up into the sky and a cloud took them out of their sight. And when Jesus ascended, he returned to heaven to the place from which he came. Jesus returned to the Father and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And from that heavenly throne, 
the risen and ascended Jesus is reigning over the world as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Unfortunately, the ascension of Jesus doesn't get as much time or attention as it deserves, right? We give a lot of attention to his death. We give a lot of attention to his resurrection. But unfortunately, we don't give a lot of air time or even meditation time to his ascension. But the ascension of Jesus is absolutely crucial. Let me highlight just kind of three important implications of the ascension of Jesus for us. First, the ascension of Jesus means that Jesus is closer to us than ever before. Jesus told his disciples that it would actually be to their advantage if he leaves. Why? Because it's when Jesus returns to heaven, that is when he's going to send the Holy Spirit. You see, in his resurrected body, Jesus could not be present at all times, in all places. He could only be at one place at a time. But once he sent his spirit, Jesus can now be with all of his people in all places and at all times. Friends, listen to this. The bodily absence of Jesus means his spiritual omnipresence. That means that the ascension of Jesus actually brings Jesus closer to us. Jesus in his resurrected body can only be near us or next to us. But Jesus in his spirit can come within us, live inside us. Friends, Jesus is not right here. He is in here. Jesus is closer to us than we realize. Second, the ascension of Jesus means that Jesus hears our prayers and intercedes for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, Elder Tom references beautifully in his prayer. It says that Jesus, our great high priest, has passed through the heavens and is seated on the throne. Jesus passed through the heavens when he ascended. Therefore, we can now with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. You see, as the ascended Lord Jesus, he doesn't just reign over us, but he also prays for us and prays over us. Jesus doesn't just hear our prayers. He also prays for us and prays over us before the Father. I want you to consider this. Not all your prayers for yourself will be answered. But all of Jesus' prayers for you, they will be answered by the Father. Now, sometimes I wonder who really prays for me, right? I mean, not just once in a while or occasionally, but regularly, even daily. Friends, I want to tell you this. Our ascended Lord Jesus prays for us every day, every hour, every minute, every second. There is not a moment in a day when you're not thought about and when you're not prayed for by your ascended Lord Jesus. Even when you're not thinking about him, he's thinking about you and praying for you even at this very moment. And all of his prayers for you and all of his prayers for me, they will all be answered perfectly by the Father. There is someone praying for us. Third, the ascension of Jesus means that Jesus will come again for us. In Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us that there were angels when Jesus ascended into heaven. And they said this, 
Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascended Christ will be the returning Christ. One day, Jesus will come again, and he will restore the world, including us. The Lord Jesus will make all things new and all things right, and everything will be the way it's supposed to be. Everything sad will become untrue. Everything broken will be restored. In heaven, there will be no more wheelchairs. And everyone that we've ever loved in the Lord, that we've lost, will receive back. One day we will see Jesus as he is and we will be made like him and we will receive our resurrected bodies like his. And in those resurrected bodies, we will live in the new heaven and the new earth and we will be with Christ and we will be with all the people we love and we will love all the people that we're with. You see, in heaven, not only will there be no more suffering and sickness and death, but there will also be no more hatred and division. In heaven, there will only be love. Only love. Only love. Christ Central family, would you believe this with great joy today? That Jesus was crucified, but he is risen, and he is ascended, and he is reigning right now. One day he will come again. That, my friends, is our ultimate hope. As Pastor Tim Keller said, if the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be all right. Friends, no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard or how heartbreaking or how frustrating it is, no matter what you're going through, I want to tell you this. If you're a Christian, everything will be okay because the resurrection is true. So what? Let me wrap this up. I've gone long. But I couldn't help myself. It was like the first time we've had a full house in like a year and a half. So um, <laughs> uh, bear with me. I'll be done quickly. What should we do in light of everything? Two things. Let me leave you with two things as we conclude this series. First, we should worship the risen and ascended Lord Jesus because that's what the disciples did. Look at verse 52. It tells us, after they saw Jesus ascend, what did they do? They worshiped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. So the first and proper response to reading Luke's gospel is to worship the risen and ascended Jesus with great joy and to continually bless God. Following Jesus begins with worshiping Jesus, and in fact, uh, following Jesus will also end with worshiping Jesus because one day our journey will end where? In heaven where we will join the heavenly worship above. Second, we should live as witnesses for Jesus. As Christ followers, we're called to be witnesses for Jesus. We are sent on mission by Jesus to be his witnesses in the world by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, Luke wrote an entire book on this very topic, what it means for the church to be a witness for Christ in the world. And at, in our next ministry year, here's a sneak peek. We're going to study the book of Acts, the sequel to Luke's gospel, and we're going to learn what it means to be a church, especially as we reset and recalibrate as a church as we come out of the pandemic. 
And one of the most important things for the church to be, according to the book of Acts, is to be a witnessing community to the world, a church that proclaims the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ central family, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to worship Jesus with great joy, and it means to live as his witnesses. So Christ central family, let's follow Jesus as we worship him and as we live as his witnesses right here in greater Metro DC. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the year-long journey that we were able to take together as a church through the gospel of Luke. Thank you that by studying this precious gospel, we've become more convinced of who he is, that he is your son. He is the Messiah that you promised us, that he is the savior of the world, and we believe in him. And now we want to worship him, and we want to live as his witnesses in this world so that others might be convinced of who he is and receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in his name. Would you help us to do that as a church for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.